Hello, everyone. I'm Dana Stewart Bullock, and this is Transformational Therapeutics. In today's podcast, Rebecca and I will continue our discussion on shame and add worth into the mix. Shame and worth are closely related. We will also describe how the design principle tensegrity is actually the basis of transformational therapeutics and show in real time how this philosophy connects all the subjects we've covered thus far. So welcome. Hi, Dana. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So today we are talking about a combination of a couple topics that we've already covered, the topic of shame and worth. And I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on the combination of the two. Well, I came to this because the last recording we did was about worth. And I realized afterwards, so much of worth has to do with shame. And so I went back over the shame podcast that we had done. And I've just been playing around with it in my mind in terms of what you said in particular about worth being something that we come into the world with was sort of so shocking to me. It had never occurred to me that it just is. And then when I was trying to figure out for myself and for people I've worked with over the years who had no sense of worth or self-worth, and also the podcast that we did on self, I mean, it all seems to come together. Mm. And then when I was thinking about it, I was thinking about power and what does power mean in all of this, you know, the ability. So I just wanted to spend today talking about all of those sort of thoughts and philosophies and combining them together and figuring out on a more holistic level of how all of this contributes to who we are. I love that idea. So really, we're combining way more than just two episodes, two topics, because you're right. I mean, I I very much agree that they all go together. Yeah. And, and because this model is so holographic in some ways, it doesn't matter how you enter it, everything really is connected. And so I just sort of wanted to increase the connections or point them out and the three-dimensionality of it, mm. of the model itself. That reminds me of how you've described this model to me before. Would you share what a tensegrity model is? I will share what little bit I can remember. So I'm going to do a podcast on fascia and tensegrity at some point. Mm. By definition, the term tensegrity is a contraction of the words tension and integrity. And it was actually coined by the architect Buckminster Fuller. But um, Kenneth Snelson is the one who created the structure and inspired the concept. So a tensegrity structure, it's like a physical structure, is recognized by its distinct set of compression elements, which are called struts, that appear to float within a network of tensional cables. Mm. So you have struts and cables. Mm. And so that's the physical form tensegrity takes. But if you look at it from a larger perspective, if you just imagine, or you could look at it, Google it, a tensegrity structure, it's a structure that's self-supporting and it needs no internal support. It just is. And the structures themselves are very flexible and lightweight And in that confirmation, weak materials become stronger. Tensegrity structure distributes forces instantly throughout the whole structure. Hmm. And the whole system adapts simultaneously to any force that is introduced into it. So if you can imagine a structure made with struts and cables, and you'd have to look it up to see the picture of it. Right. If you're listening to this, definitely recommend looking this up to see a picture. So if you put a force into that structure, it gets distributed throughout the structure immediately. 
And so when I thought about transformational therapeutics, I saw it as a philosophy, but structurally it's sort of a tensegrity model and that everything is connected one way or another. So you can enter the model through self. You could enter it through relationship. You could enter it through worth. You could enter it through any one of those subjects and they will take you somewhere else. So as we talk today, I wanted to pull together the different subjects that we've covered and show how they're all interconnected. The language itself is all interconnected. Yes, I love that so much, especially because we've talked about this idea of what transformational therapeutics is using that concept. And we couldn't really introduce it until this moment in the duration of this podcast that here we are have been sharing pieces of it. And now we can really kind of go back and show that they have all been working together. And today we can use that a little bit through through this example. So talk to us about shame and where you went from there. So I went back and sort of re-listened and realized that shame and disgrace are actually synonymous. Mm. So I looked up the word disgrace. What disgrace means is having fallen out of God's favor. So you've fallen from grace. And shame itself promotes an inner sense of being completely diminished and insufficient as a person, which means you've fallen from grace, whatever grace means to you. Right. It's a feeling of humiliation and worthlessness. So taking off on the last one that we did about worth, I was really thinking about at the base The really fundamental piece of any sense of worthlessness really comes from shame. Right. And shame, if we take your example that it just is that you're just born with it, it's there already, then shame has to be imposed on one so that you lose the sense of worth that is inherently yours. Yes. That fits perfectly with the analogy that I used last week with the worth episode about how... I see it as if, you know, the our worth is a, a diamond. And over the years, through our experiences, through how we learn to see the world, it gets covered in layers of mud, and in this case could get covered in layers of shame. And then the, through the work of transformational therapeutics and other self-development, awareness, exploration types of therapies and tools we can peel away those layers of shame and start to see who we really are and have always been and then therefore see the world more clearly. And I also believe that shame can start in the womb. Mm, Can you tell us more about that? Well, I think it is, I have said my definition of shame was not feeling safe in my own physiology. Mm. And so in the womb, you're floating in this sea of amniotic fluid. And in some ways, I see it as floating sort of in DNA. If there is shame in your lineage, you may take it on then, depending on the health of the mother's womb. Every time the pregnant woman, whatever biochemistry she has in terms of her feelings and her emotions will be communicated to the fetus inside of her womb. So it can start there. Sure, that makes so much sense. I I can even just think about it in a way that when I'm feeling shame... I feel it physically in my gut and it feels like my gut turns into this gripping fist. And so I could only imagine what it might be like for a woman who is pregnant to experience shame while 
a child is within her, that that emotion would be distributed. And then, like you said, feeling shame is feeling unsafe in your own physiology. And at that time, we're just pure physiology, right? Yeah. Right. We're just floating physiology. Right. And for a long time afterwards, in terms of after birth, the development, I mean, our brains are developing over time. We're really wide open for any influences that are put on us, any feeling of diminishment. And it doesn't have to be communicated on purpose. It could be an infant has needs that need to be met. And if the needs aren't met, then the infant will inherently learn that it isn't worth having its needs met and not a word needs to be said. Right. And I think that shame in general is really part of the human condition. Mm-hmm. In Western culture, it's probably in all cultures, but in particular our Western culture, because of Judeo-Christian religious values, shame is a huge piece of our upbringing in our culture. Sure. So much of the Judeo-Christian religion has to do with the worthiness to receive God or, you know, oh my God, I am not worthy, just the language of that. And I don't know enough about it, but I've seen it in people who are religious. It makes one dependent on another, perhaps being God, for one's worth and denies the inherent worthiness, which is what you talked about last time that inherent in having come alive is worth. Right. That still boggles my mind, what you said. But I, there's a quote, a bird doesn't sing because he has an answer, he sings because he has a song. Hmm. And I don't think that we really embody that. That's a beautiful way to kind of sum up what we're really talking about. When one has shame, which is that feeling of worthlessness, or feeling fundamentally bad or defective, And I think about all the handicapped kids I used to work with, how inherent shame was in having a handicap, Mm. because our culture doesn't support that. Right. You know, there's something wrong with you. There's so much judgment involved with it. And even if it isn't verbal judgment, your body isn't working. So we're going to put a brace on you or put you do this or that or the other because it's insufficient Mm. to function. Right. So shame itself causes a feeling of defectiveness and inadequacy and not being fully valid as a human being. Mm -hmm. Whereas what you said about worth just is, worth means you're valid. Right. You already are, whether you believe it or not. Right. To me, it helps me then see shame differently. Because then if I am feeling unworthy or feeling shame or immersed in that less than-ness or inhumanness, and then I remember that, oh, wait a second, I'm worthy whether I believe it or not, then it allows me to see more clearly that this is cl- this must just be some lie that I learned, some lie that I started to believe at some point. And now I can look at it clearly. Like I also like to use an analogy of a smear of dirt on the window when you're trying to look through the window and see the world clearly, but the smear of dirt is, is blocking you. And in order to clean off that smear, you've got to look at it and look at the window and, and wipe it off. And Rebecca, I think in our culture, what we do is we pathologize things. Mm-hmm. And so like you said before, you get this grip in your stomach. Someone else might see that as something wrong, they're getting sick, their stomach is getting upset. So when I talk about symbolic language, that's one way to interpret it. 
but it's also a way to look at it differently. So what if it is shame and you don't have a stomach bug? <laughs> then it changes the whole picture, changes how you address it, can change the outcome, can empower you on a whole different level. Oh my goodness, yes. And that feeling that I know so well of just total collapse is in many ways the same feeling that happens sort of before you get the flu. Mm. It's like that physiology of flu-y and icky and... But that, to me, is the same physiology I feel when I'm ashamed. Mm. And so is it an actual bug disease or is it shame? And which one am I going to, which way am I going to look at it? Which one empowers me more? And also maybe knowing this information can expand choice. So that you have more to investigate, more to learn. And maybe you say, okay, let me go the, the pathology route and... Let me ask the questions of, is there shame present? Absolutely. I mean, to go both ways at the same time, but not to rule out shame as a possible etiology for the symptoms that you have. That is so brilliant. You're right. I find that even we don't allow ourselves to feel, to have pain, have discomfort, have negative emotion. We go right to, there must be something wrong. Which is an actual symptom of shame. Right. Because shame is so associated with judgment and wrong. I mean, sickness is not wrong. Right. But that's how we see it. Right. And I think also, I mean, I've always talked about this. If something is happening now, it indicates a history. So if I feel shame now, shame is learned. I must have learned it a long time ago. Oh, that's good. Because I don't have the worth internally to counter what comes at me that is seen as shameful. Mm. So it starts really early. So what you're saying is that if someone is feeling shame, then one way you could go and explore it could be asking that question, when did I first feel this? Feel this, yeah, yeah. Do, do I remember or can I imagine? Mm-hmm. And what does it feel like? When's the last time I felt like this? Mm-hmm. And you can trace it back. Mm. And it is such a sense of collapse. I mean, you talked about it being like a clutching in your stomach. Mm-hmm. What does your body want to do when that happens? Curl in. Yeah. I feel it clenching in my stomach, rounding in my shoulders. I want to tighten everything. Like the, the desire is to go into the fetal position and curl up. So... Forgive me, but that right there tells you when it started (laughs) because you're assuming a position. (laughs) (laughs) That I'm really glad that was recorded because you just were able to hear it in real time. (laughs) The use of language. I said, I want to go into the fetal position. And I didn't even see that. And then you pointed it out that, oh, I used the language indicating of when it first happened when I was a fetus. In my book, I would take that to the bank. Yeah. You won't remember it necessarily, but your body, your body remembers. Mm. And again, I don't believe the body ever lies. Right. So that right there is the model right there. Exactly. That was in real time. Yeah. (laughs) Not planned or anything. (laughs) No, we didn't plan that. (laughs) We didn't rehearse it. (laughs) Nope. I'm still letting that information sink in. That's really powerful. And it makes so much sense. It's not so devastating to me. I mean, it's, it's just information. It is. Well, and especially I find that shame is very, this kind of thing can come up a lot in, I found with myself and with clients and students of mine, that it can come up so easily in our, in our relationships. And so 
sometimes, you know, my husband can say something and I feel that visceral reaction. And in the past with previous relationships, before I knew this information, I would assume that it was that person, that this, that person was making me feel a certain way. And now I know that nobody can make me feel a certain way. It's all on, it's my own feelings. But then what I know more, even, even more now, and even more now still since the last two minutes, that it has nothing to do with him. And it's a, it's an echo of something in the past, something that is wanting to be seen or cleared or understood or released or let go. And that gives me so much peace in our relationship. It strengthens our marriage because I'm not putting my childhood on him. (laughs) And, um, and something like that from what you just said is, I hope you don't mind me using you as an example. So if it happened in utero and you wanted to assume the fetal position, it's so wired into you on a visceral level so early And just knowing that each time it comes up, you can then each time it comes up, acknowledge that that's when it happened. It's not happening now. It happened in utero and move forward. Mm -hmm. And over time, that wiring will change. But that to me is how physiological this stuff really is. Mm -hmm. And so your whole being formed around that. And that just is. I mean, to me, that's just information. Absolutely. And whatever feelings you have associated with it are feelings, but the information then allows you to see it and perceive it differently and do something then different with that perception. And just the fact, Rebecca, that you laughed it speaks volumes. Yes. I, I'm so glad you pointed that out because that demonstrates, especially when we're talking about a, a topic of shame, shame is one of the most painful emotions. And it's one that we tend to avoid at all costs if we can. We try to anyway. But when you use some some courage to lean into the discomfort of actually looking at it, you can get to a place where you laugh. And from the last podcast, I talked about pride of accomplishment, that Mm -hmm. a child needs to be acknowledged for what it accomplishes from the beginning. You just demonstrated how much you have transformed shame by saying what you said, I want to curl up like a fetus, then realizing that that's probably when it originated, owning it and laughing at it. It took the power away from it by being able to laugh at it. It Mm -hmm. takes its power away. It does. I mean, I remember Mel Brooks years ago talking about when he did the song Springtime for Hitler and talking about the best way to get back at the Nazis was to laugh at them. Hmm. So it's like that shame is a force. And when you've gotten to the point where you can actually laugh at the origin of it, you're you're golden. Hmm. I mean, you're really golden. That's a big deal. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, thank you. It is such a good point, though, because I think what happened at first was feeling the shame when I would be trying to resist it or avoid it or cover it up or whatever. Feeling it, which was more intense. And I I still feel it doesn't mean that I'm immune to it. I absolutely do. But then started to understand it and started to get curious about it. And then through that understanding, when it would come up, it, it would be almost what happens now is usually... Like, oh, shame was here? Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Now I understand why I was behaving that way if I was trying to avoid shame or shame was... And also, at some point, you'll get to the point where you'll hear yourself. 
And you'll hear yourself saying you want to curl up into a fetal position mm. and you'll go, oh, I'm just telling myself where this originated from. Hmm. And that's the whole language. That's the spoken language piece of it. Yes. The spoken language piece is that. The body language piece is wanting to curl up. The psychological piece is experiencing the shame in the first place. So that's the tensegrity of this whole model mm-hmm. and where you enter I mean, you entered by describing it, and then I sort of entered by describing what you had said. Right. It's so, I I don't like this word holistic, but it is holistic. It is. And we were demonstrating that through this safety of the container of this relationship. Absolutely. That in this safe space, I was al- allowing myself to share that. And then you heard it, just witnessed it without judgment, without pouring more shame on me, and was able to point out with clarity. And in that, and we also- basically just interpreted. I just sort of mirrored it back to you. Exactly. And in that, we transformed shame, which feels very powerless, and created power. No, I think you were empowered just by the way you were laughing. Mm. That tells me right there, there's a power in the face of that statement and that knowledge base. When I said to you, it started during fetal development after you said, I want to curl up like a fetus. Mm. That's sort of a feedback loop that you created yourself to allow you to get the information. And then you laughed at it, which tells me you've just totally empowered yourself in this moment in the face of that information. Hmm. It's really huge. Hmm. I mean, it's so fundamental, but it's so, I just find it magnificent. Mm-hmm. I just, I just love it. I'm, I just love it. <laughs> I love it too. Well, this is, this conversation is turning out to be a beautiful demonstration of this model. <laughs> I think we just showed how it can all transform. Right. We, and we didn't even really and have a clear plan. plan. No. <laughs> so it was meant to be. <laughs> Well, symbolism, is there any anything we can tie in there? I'm curious. Well, for me, symbolism is seeing when you talk, I visualize what you're saying. Mm-hmm. So I visualized you curled up as a fetus. Mm-hmm. That's symbolic. Absolutely. I mean, so that's, it's all pulled together, right? We just manifested the dimensionality of this model. Absolutely. And the simplicity of it. It's so simple. I mean, it's not easy, but it is simple. Right. Well, and I think the language piece is such a key point that I tend to forget about, but the words we're saying provide so much information, so many windows into the answers we're seeking, just by even using common phrases like, oh, it was such a kick in the gut, <laughs> you know, like things, things like that. And the words that we're using will, can be used to send you back to the original insult or whatever mm. it is. Because when you say fetal, that right there, that's it. You don't get much earlier than that. Right. And so in many ways, we have all the information within us mm-hmm. if we listen and look and risk. Now, here's an interesting thought that it just came to me that what if knowing that our worth is 100% already, we really have nothing to do with that, it just is. What if there's some aspect of our, our own worth that is almost guiding us, giving us the, this might be a little woo, woo woo for some, but what if it's that, that part of ourselves that is pointing out the language to use and point like almost directing us towards showing that this shame and all these things are just learned and they're not who we are really. And that's absolutely what it is because, because so much language comes from the unconscious Mm -hmm. of what we're not aware of. And so when you use that language, you weren't consciously picking those words. They just came out. Right. And 
so much of our worth is in our unconscious. We're not conscious of it. So Hmm. as it comes up, yes, I think it does direct us. No question. That's such a beautiful thought because I think we tend to assume, or I might be speaking for more than just myself, but when we say things are hidden in the subconscious and there's a lot of negative things that are hidden there, some limiting thoughts, a lot of shame that are hiding in the subconscious that we're not aware of. But when we also think about that, we're not aware of the fact that we actually are worthy, then our worthiness is in the unconscious as well. Absolutely. And that has the power to direct us and using things like transformational therapeutics to access that because yes. so much of what we do is driven by our unconscious. Absolutely. So, so yes, you're right on target. Mm, as are you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this conversation has turned out almost exceeding our expectations. Absolutely. I know I didn't expect to have such an aha moment. Very, very cool. So, and, and can I just say that that aha moment, when one starts in this model, it can be difficult. But when you start having those aha moments, you just want more and more and more because it becomes fun. It does. It really, it becomes fun. It becomes fun. And now let me describe how I feel. I feel so light and clear and I feel filled with energy, which is the complete opposite of shame. Exactly. And that energy you had been using to suppress that knowledge Mm. that it started in utero. And so now that energy is available to you. That's the whole point of the whole model. As we clear stuff out, we have more energy available to us for living. Yes, that we're no longer trying to pour all that energy into misguided ways that is just draining us. And into suppression. Yeah. And now I can use that energy to harness for things that I actually want to harness energy for. And and may I just say this? With all of your history of yoga and meditation and everything, this little thing just popped up and got cleared just in this interaction. Mm-hmm. That's how powerful this is. Yeah. I'm not denigrating your history with yoga and meditation, but this is how simple it can be. Just trusting someone and going back and forth and listening to the language. Right. It's right. all there. I was not aware of what shame felt like for a long time. It just was. I actually thought it was stomach problems for a long time as well. Well, right. And we've talked about that. So for you, it comes up as stomach problems. For me, it comes up as total disintegration. Mm. It's like um, if you see a a big pane of glass that shatters and goes right down, that's sort of how it feels to me. Mm. So people will have different definitions. Right. But the point is to associate the symptom with the feeling, not just associate it with a pathology. Right. By using this model to start to get curious and asking questions and, and just gathering seeing information. It yeah. Like, what is this? This is information for me. Right. It may not just be that I have a, dis- it's just information. What am I going to do with that information? How mm-hmm. am I going to interpret it? Right. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you. If you got something out of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And leave us a review and a rating. We would be so appreciative.